Grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Um, a beautiful Lord's Day and uh, no place better to be than to be gathered with the saints and to be worshiping God and reflecting on what all God and Christ have done for us. And so we're continuing a series of, of lessons where we're looking at uh, many of the popular songs that are sung around this time of year and the message behind these songs. So hopefully the next time that, that we hear them, we can uh, reflect on them a little bit deeper and we can understand a little bit better uh, why these songs were written and, and what is that we are to understand about them. Uh, the history behind old hymns and songs and carols can be very interesting. Uh, for many of us, these songs are beloved. A person wouldn't dare change the words or, or music to something that we might consider sacred. Imagine, if you will, someone trying to change the lines to amazing grace or blessed assurance. People would revolt. Uh, but this wasn't always the case. In previous years, copyright wasn't as big of a deal as it is today. And if someone wrote a song and someone else believed that they could improve upon it, then they would. And sometimes the theology of a song would be changed or corrected. And hymnals were, were published on a regular basis, and with each new hymnal, a song could change. And this was the case with the Christmas classic, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was originally written by Charles Wesley, in 1739. And Charles was a prolific songwriter. It is estimated that he wrote over 6,000 hymns in his lifetime. Uh, you'll find several of those in our own hymnal. And he wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing as a song to be sung on Christmas Day. And he requested that the music to go along with it be slow and somber. Nothing like what we sing today, but uh, uh, several tunes were associated with uh, the song over the years, and it wouldn't be until 1855, so more than 100 years later, before the famous Mendelssohn tune that we just sung a moment ago and know today was applied to the song. Some of the wording was changed over the years from the original as well. Most famously, the opening lines were replaced by something George Whitfield, who was a famous preacher, he's also a friend of the Wesleys, had written. The original opening lines from Wesley were this, Hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the King of Kings. Um, you may have never heard the word welkin, but it's an old English word. It's one that Shakespeare and others have used. And it simply means the sky or the heavens. And Whitfield thought that this needed updating. And so he changed it to what we now sing today. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. But the focus in both versions is this heavenly host that we find in Luke chapter 2 and verse 13 from that passage that Bobby read for us this morning. This heavenly host, they come and they, they praise and glorify God because Jesus has been born. And so the heavenly hosts, the welkin, the angels, they all proclaim glory to God in the highest. 
and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, the first verse of the song invites everyone to join this chorus of praise. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. And so something special has happened in Bethlehem that will forever alter the future of the universe. This is the end of Satan. It is the end of sin. It is the end of death. Now, they don't know it yet, and the world still looks the same on the day that Jesus is born as it did the day before. Herod will still take the lives of innocent children. The righteous will continue to suffer, but the birth of this child has set forth a series of events that's going to change human history forever. It has been determined. And there's nothing that can be done to stop what God has set in motion. The angels and the heavenly host in the sky, they recognize this. And that's why they come and they sing. We acknowledge it every Sunday when we gather together and praise what God has done and what God is doing. And all nations and all people should recognize all of this, what God has done and what he's going to do. And that's the invitation of the song. Come, everyone, and join in this chorus. Everyone should be praising the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The coming of Christ has implications for every single human being. God and sinners reconciled. Without the coming of Christ, we are without hope. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus has to come and rescue us. Because when we sin, and we all do, we separate ourselves from God. We are lost. And we need to be reconciled to God. The only thing that can mend this relationship is the blood of Christ. His sacrifice on the cross is what makes salvation possible. Of course, none of this is possible unless he is first born. And so the, the, the birth of Jesus is the beginning of God's plan to save humanity. The second verse, if you have your, your hymnals, it's again, it's 1001. Um, you can be looking at that. But the second verse is, is rich with the important doctrines concerning Jesus' birth. Offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hell the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. So Jesus was born of a virgin. His birth was miraculous. And nothing like this has ever happened before or since. It's, it's the only thing like it that we see in Scripture. And it's something that is to be praised and marveled at. And while Mary is pregnant with Jesus, she sings. And you have this beautiful song in Luke chapter 1, and in the beginning of the song, she sings out, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
And so the Bible says here that we are to hold Mary in high regard. All generations are to call her blessed. This is because she was the mother of Jesus. But it's also because she is a tremendous example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. She was faithful in difficult times. She was entrusted with a a dangerous mission. It's believed that Mary was around the age of 14 or 15 when she becomes pregnant. And she's betrothed to Joseph, but she's not married yet. And so this is a problem. The angel Gabriel comes to her and he explains to her what's going to happen. But Mary has to go on her her own and she has to talk to her parents. She has to talk to Joseph and she has to talk to everyone else who notices that, that she's with child and not yet married. She had to tell them how she miraculously became pregnant. There's little doubt that she was probably ridiculed, that she was made fun of. And this was not an easy thing nor a pleasant thing for Mary to endure. But she stays faithful through it all. And Mary is the only human being in Scripture that is present at both the birth and the death of Jesus. And we see that she's faithful to this child, to this Messiah for his entire life. She was faithful when it wasn't easy to be faithful. And so Mary is an incredible example for all of us. She is blessed and we should strive to imitate her faithfulness. Even more amazing is that God took on flesh. He came to us. We didn't go to him. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. And so the, the presence of God was with the people in times past. You can look back over the story. You can see this from time to time. He, he's with them on Mount Sinai. He's, he's with them in the tabernacle. He's, he's with them later in the temple. However, the, the people had to take caution before they approached God. They had to prepare themselves, and then they had to be careful because they could not come too close. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. That's why. So it's a very serious thing to come into the presence of God. But no one ever imagined that God would become human and that God would live among us. But that's exactly what happened. And this gives us another reason to to celebrate the birth of Emmanuel. And, and, you know, Jesus has multiple different names. One that you often hear this time of year is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It focuses on this fact that God takes on flesh and comes to earth. God was born in Bethlehem. and, And this truth shows us how far that God is willing to go. How far he's willing to go to rescue us. It shows us how much he loves us 
and how much He cares for us. The, the story of Scripture in regards to humanity is one of sin and rebellion. And so human beings continually do what we're not supposed to do. Uh, we see this after the flood when it gets so bad that God decides to destroy the earth. And then afterwards, he's reflecting on this, and he says that the hearts of human beings have not changed. And so God decides to change. And when God makes a covenant with us, which he does on several occasions, human beings always find a way to break it. And this happens over and over again. And God, throughout all of this, continues to reach out to us. He continues to show us mercy and grace. And finally, He does the unimaginable. He leaves heaven and He comes to earth. And He sacrifices all of His comforts. He, he enters into our pain and into our suffering. And right here, this is the ultimate love story. It's also a story about the worth of humanity. We are sinners who need to be rescued, but we're also human beings created in the image of God. And so we learn here that we are of great worth. You know, in Jesus' day, some suggested that being a fleshly creature was undesirable. And the best thing that could happen to a person was to die and to escape the prison that some considered the body. This was a quite popular teaching during that day. But the story of the birth of Jesus is a story about God embracing flesh. His creation is good, not bad. And we're not to despise the body. We're not to think lowly of humanity. We are the prize of God's creation. We see this in the beginning of Genesis when God creates everything. But we also see it here in this story. God comes, and, and He doesn't come and become a horse or a dog or a cat. He comes, and He becomes a human being. And we're different than, than any other creature that God has put on this earth. We are complex, and God came. He came in order to relate to us, to understand us, and to save us. And this is why we talk about such things as incarnation and taking on flesh and dwelling among us. These are important Christian doctrines. The third verse is a glorious crescendo. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. In all these songs, not just this one, but all of them that we've looked at and many more, we are reminded that we are to be a people of praise and celebration. We are to be excited because of all that God has done. And our excitement about these things should be overflowing. Others should be able to see it. We should be excited about sharing the gospel. We should be excited about teaching Bible classes and teaching others about Christ. We should be excited about being able to worship. We should be excited about 
God's Word and about the opportunity just to learn about Him. And these songs remind us of that. They remind us of what we should be. Too often, we're not excited about any of it. We're hesitant about sharing the gospel. We don't want to be asked to teach a Bible class. We barely make it to worship. Christmas carols are filled with wonderful reminders why it is we became a Christian in the first place. And they put us in touch with the love and the excitement that we once had for Christ. These are songs of revival. We should be encouraged to recommit ourselves to our loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and mind. What is so special about the birth of Christ? Well, if you've made it this far in the song and still don't know, the song states it plainly at the very end. Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Jesus comes to save us from death. He comes to defeat death. Something that is the result of sin and and to give us the promise of resurrection. And He does this for us. He's born for us. He lives for us. He dies for us. And He's raised for us. He's done so much. What is it that we are to do to receive all these blessings that we sing about, all these blessings that He offers? How are we to be born again to receive this second birth? Well, it's simple. Jesus asks us to trust Him. That's what it means to have faith. He asks us to submit to Him, to be baptized, and to follow Him. And that's it. And so as the world celebrates the birth of Jesus, what better way to give glory to the newborn King than to do just that? There isn't one. This beautiful song invites us all to give our life to Him, to submit to Him, to honor Him, and to follow Him all of our days. And if you haven't began that journey yet, then why don't you do so now? And if you've already begun the journey, maybe you're feeling weary or tired, then why not recommit yourself to Christ? Embrace the joy and the excitement of His birth and learn to live again. Why don't you do that now?